Our scripture passage this morning is from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And today is the start of our Gospel of John sermon series and our season within the book of the Gospel of John. And Pastor Liz, after the sermon, is going to talk about weekly small groups that we're going to provide, as well as a daily reading plan for the Gospel of John, as Pastor Liz preached last week so powerfully. Reading God's Word changes us. Being in God's Word in a small group inspires us, helps us to understand the Word, and listening to God's Word preach, it sharpens us and empowers us to go forth in God's love and meet the world in Christ's love. So, I want to invite you to be here on Sundays to hear the preaching of the Gospel of John, to read John's book daily, and to get involved in a small group. Because as good Presbyterians, one thing we know and believe, God speaks to individuals and God speaks through groups. So, and God speaks through his word. So let us listen now for the word of the Lord from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Here are John's famous words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist, by the way. John, the gospel writer, is not talking about himself here. There was a man sent from God whose name was John the Baptizer. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So today we begin our journey through the Gospel of John. One theologian famously said, the gospel of John is like a swimming pool, shallow enough that a child may wade, and deep enough that an elephant can swim. John is one of four books in the Bible referred to as a gospel. The word gospel means good news. The three other gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the Gospels are the only four books in your Bible that document the life of Jesus Christ. 
You want to know who Jesus was, what Jesus was about, and who Jesus came to do? We turn to the Gospels. John's Gospel was dictated or written by a fisherman who lived in Israel during the days of Jesus. John and his brother James were sons of Zebedee, and they worked for their father in the family fishing business. One day, as they were working with dad on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus came. And Jesus filled their empty nets to overflow to bursting. And Jesus had James and John's attention. And James and John left the family fishing business to follow Jesus. John the fisherman became one of Jesus's original 12 disciples. He was part of Jesus's inner circle. Uh, James, John, and Peter were ones who were privy to things that even the other disciples did not witness. And in his gospel, John refers to himself as Jesus' beloved disciple. You ever grow up with a sibling who said that they were the one who mom and dad really loved? Well, as you read John's gospel, you'll observe that John is speaking to himself as the disciple, the one who Jesus really loved and Jesus really trusted. Because it was from the cross that Jesus turned to John and said to John, John, and he said this about his very mother, the mother Mary, John, this is your mother. And he said to Mary, Mary, this is your son. He entrusted his own mother to John's care. Of the 12 original disciples and apostles, John lived the longest. And as far as we know, John penned or dictated his gospel when he was an elderly man. The other three gospels were already in circulation. And the early church fathers believed that John excluded certain teachings and events because they had already been well documented in the other three gospels. And John included a series of events and stories and teachings that were excluded in the other three gospels or underdeveloped because John wanted to complete or give a full different picture of who Jesus is. John tells us the purpose of writing his gospel at the end of the book. This is John's uh, purpose, his point, or his thesis statement. I had the privilege of being raised by an English teacher, and I used to ask my father, the English teacher, to edit my papers. But before my father would ever edit my papers, he would ask the question, what is your thesis statement? Why are you writing? What is the point? And the point was to pass the class, but he wanted to know the point of the paper. What are you trying to do and say in your paper or the book? And so John gives us his thesis statement, his purpose at the end of his book, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus, this is what John writes, now Jesus did many other signs just put a bookmark in, in that phrase, signs. We're going to be talking about the signs in the coming book, weeks. Now, John did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Maybe they're written in other books, but not in this book. But these are written. The, the things that I included, they're written so that you may believe. There's the point. There's the thesis. I, I put together this book so that you and I, that you 
may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. I wrote this so that you may believe, and the outcome of believing is that you may have life in his name. And he's, he's not speaking of physical life, right? Biological life. He's talking about eternal life, life with God, a different life, a better life, a life that goes without end. And so that's why he wrote his book, so that we would know that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the Lord, the Son of God, and by believing that we may have life. So there's my book report. And now let's get into the, the, the book, the introduction to the book. Typically when I preach, my goal is that you'll make it through the message without closing your eyes. Some of you are annoyed by crying babies. I root for crying babies because it makes it difficult for adults to get any shut-eye. Better a crying baby than a snoring man, amen? However, this morning, I want to ask you to close your eyes. Go ahead. You can close your eyes and keep them closed. And now take a moment to examine what you see with your eyes closed. Do you see darkness? Is it formless? Are there little formless splashes or blobs of light? Is it void? Raise your hand if you see nothing. Raise them if you see nothing. All right, keep them up. And now with our eyes opened, go ahead, you can open your eyes. We, we all, it's kind of interesting because there was only like six or seven hands up. I don't know what you all are seeing with your eyes closed. I, I love to have a conversation with you during coffee hour this morning. But for the six of you, we all closed our eyes and we saw nothing, right? Because with your eyes closed, there was nothing to see. There is nothing. When, when John begins his book, In the Beginning, he is taking us back to a time before there was anything, there was nothing. It was the beginning before the beginning of the universe. It was the beginning before the beginning of time and space. It was the beginning before the beginning of human life. There was nothing. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord reveals to John that in this beginning, there was nothing but God and God's word. So before there was anything, before life came to anything, anything was made in all of creation, there was God and God's word. And when, when, when you think about God, 
Because we're, we're raised in a, in a country, in a, in a nation where, where we can worship God freely. You already have an, an, an idea, an understanding of who God is, right? So when, when I say the word God, something or someone comes to mind, right? You, you, you think about God and, and you think about light. You think about God and you think about spirit. You think about God and you think about transcendence. You think about God and you think about the eternal one. Or perhaps if you're Christian, you think God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. However, when I say the word word, what words come to mind? We don't attach the same meaning or understanding to the word word, right? When, when I was thinking about the meaning of the word word in my mind, I was thinking it was something that a word is something that you speak or write or type or text. That's a word. It's a, it's a tool. It's a thing through which we are able to communicate. And when John says in the beginning there was God and God's word, immediately people would think of a specific event from the beginning. In particular, John was Jewish, raised Jewish, lived in a nation that was predominantly Jewish. He was touching on the Jewish understanding of God and his word in the beginning. In fact, he begins his gospel with the phrase in the beginning because in the beginning is how the entire Bible begins, the Jewish Bible, the Hebrew scriptures, right? The very first words are in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then what does God do to create all things? God speaks God's word. And you can read from Genesis chapter 1. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And, and so in John's day, when people thought about God and the Word, they thought about God's power to create the heavens and the Word. And indeed, in their minds, the Word was something that was spoken by God. And so if you were Jewish, you would read the, the first line of John's gospel, and you would agree with what John was saying. Of course, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. In the beginning, the Word was with God. Everybody agrees who was Jewish. However, the world during John's day was also a world that was heavily influenced by Greek philosophy. If you were a Gentile, you, you were familiar with, with a culture that had adopted Greek philosophy and Greek belief around the word. And the Greek word for word was logos. And so when John's writing this, he's saying, in the beginning was the logos. And the Greek understanding of the word was slightly different than the Jewish understanding of the word. For the Greeks, the word or the logos was an impersonal, universal force that created, ordered, and held everything together. The logos, the word, was a principle, the logic, the force that created and ordered the universe. I have a cousin, she has told me, I don't believe in God, but I believe in the universe. She strives to live in harmony with the universe. She tries to tap into the energy 
of the universe, right? Through meditation and yoga and mind control and other practices. Uh, her belief is that you have to align yourself with the universe, the force, the energy, and good things will happen. And if you fall out of line with the universe, then the universe will kind of nudge you and show you what the right path is and get you back aligned with the universe. What she's saying is, I know there's something out there that's greater than me that aligns and holds things together. And, and she's trying to harness it to meet her desires and her needs. And her new age philosophy actually stems from the Greek old age philosophy of the word or the logos. And so when people say they're new age, what you need to say is actually your, yeah, your middle or old age. Okay, so here's where Christianity differs from Judaism. Here, here's where Christianity is radically different from New Age, Old Age philosophy, whatever you want to call it. Here's how Christianity differs from every other faith tradition and religious system. And, and it starts here in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. He, here's the claim at the very heart of Christianity. The claim is this. The word that through which God created everything that you see, the word through which God created not only everything that you see, but you and your family, that very word, the word that holds together life today, holds the very universe together, the power by which things are created and held together, the word became a person. Now that was a head-scratcher for the Greeks, and an offensive statement to the Jews. What John is saying is that the infinite became finite, that the immortal became mortal, that that which was from the beginning entered into history, that, 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 that creator became a part of creation. And, and we see this because in John chapter 1, verse 2, John says he was, he, he's talking about the word being with God. And then in chapter 2, in verse 2 and verse 3, John makes this shift. He, he assigns to the word a third person singular masculine pronoun indicating that the word has become a person. Here it is. He was with God in the beginning. Through him... All things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And we'll, as we read, we'll see that John's claim is that the word became flesh in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. That this word of God from the beginning became and came as Jesus of Nazareth. And here's the question for you today. Why? Why would God become flesh? Why would God move from spirit to flesh, from impersonal to person? Why would God come to earth? That's the question that we grapple with. Many years ago, I moved into an apartment complex in Pennsylvania. It was actually decades ago. And there was a, a gentleman who was always walking his dogs, constantly walking these dogs, two big dogs. And th these were the type of dogs that if, if the, if a leaf blew by through the parking lot, these dogs were going nuts. You want to get out to the car and these dogs were out, it was like you were under threat. 
It was the biggest deal ever. Like they had never seen a human walk out and open their car. So I knew that he was walking his dogs because every time he was walking his dogs, his dogs made their presence known. And so finally, after a few months of watching this man in the morning and in the afternoon and the evening walking his dogs, I decided to go out and say hello. I'm a friendly guy. I'm not necessarily intimidated by dogs. So I went out and I said hello to this guy. And I had a few assumptions about this man. I assumed that he liked dogs, he liked walking, and also when he walked his dog, he always had this worn out Philadelphia football Eagles hat on. And so those were the three assumptions I carried with. You like to walk, you like dogs, and you like the Philadelphia Eagles. And we were down in Philadelphia, so of course he does. Well, when I, when I came to know this man, when I finally struck up a conversation with this man, and over the course of exchanging conversations and words, I actually learned a different story about this man. Uh, turns out he doesn't like dogs. He was divorced, and he was stuck with the dogs. Second, turns out he doesn't like walking. You know what he really didn't like? Putting on weight. He was walking so that he didn't put on weight. And number three, he didn't even like the Philadelphia Eagles. It was a gift. He wasn't an Eagles fan. And so I did, as a good Christian, I did my duty. Love your neighbor as yourself. I went out and I bought him a Giants hat. I could maybe learn a few things by observing him from a distance. Turns out a lot of my assumptions about this person were incorrect. But, but this is what I would say. When I began to have conversations and I began to hear his word, he was communicating his thoughts, his feelings, his desire, his will, and his character. It wasn't until he gave me his word that I truly knew the essence and the nature of who this person was before me. And by the way, I could never really relate to his dogs because his dogs bark, they don't speak. But I could establish a relationship in which he was known and I was fully known because he was another breathing, living, talking person. It wasn't until I knew the word, received the word, that I could truly know him. And so when we ask the question, why would the word of God become flesh? It is so that you can truly know who God is. See, I, I, I do see a little bit of God's beauty in a sunset, but I don't truly know who God is through a sunset. And I do see a bit of God's power through the storms over the sea, but I don't truly know his power power unless I have his word. And I do get a sense of God's grandeur when I drive up into the Rocky Mountains, but I can't really grasp God's grandeur without God's word. And so the word becomes flesh so that you and I, people, could know God. A relationship with God. So that we could talk with God. So that God could talk to us. So that we could communicate with God and God could communicate his thoughts, his desires, his heart, his will with us. That's the point. And, and I want to say another thing about this relationship that I had with this man who wasn't an Eagles fan and hopefully became a Giants fan. You know, as we got to know one another, this relationship with this guy changed my life. This was decades ago. I hadn't been a Christian very long and I was caught between two worlds. I, I felt like I had to hide things from my church and my, my, my friends, my Christian friends, my small group. And he taught me that what it, what it meant to confess. 
and to be accepted and to be loved and to be encouraged and to get up and to see who God was. You know, I understood the forgiveness and the mercy of God through this man. He met me in my hour of need, and it happened because we had a relationship, because we were willing to share words. See, the word becomes flesh, so that relationship with God can be the relationship that changes your life. It can be the relationship that brings comfort and peace and truth and grace. The relationship that changes you. See, as Christians, we want to know God. And we can know God through the word who is Jesus Christ. You can see God. You can be in relationship with God. God has become accessible to you and I. But that is not the end of the story if you're a Christ follower. See, we know God so that others can know God through us. We receive the word that becomes flesh so that we can bring a word from God to others. And that's what this, this man did for me. He communicated to me who God was, and that is our calling as Christians, to know God and to communicate with others the love and the light and the peace and the joy and the truth and the grace of who God is through our presence, through our words, by showing up for others and loving others even when they're at their worst. And this is the only way it could happen. And I'll close here with this example. Because this is the first, in honor of the fact that this is the first time the Giants will be playing in the playoffs, for decades. I'm going to close with this example. While I'm still happy, we will not be talking about the Giants next week. I have a feeling. About a decade ago, I went to a Giants game. And after the game was over, they had won the game. And at this time, they had a, a quarterback. His name was Eli Manning. He had been the quarterback for a long time. They had a coach. His name was Tom Coughlin. He had been the coach for a long time. They had just come off winning two Super Bowls, brought a lot of temporary joy into my life. And so the game is, is, is over. And my friend and I go down to the, the front row by the tunnel where the, where the players are going into the locker room. And I start calling out to, to Eli, 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 throw me a glove. <laughs> Eli, Eli, how about a ball? And Tom Coughlin's there. They kind of look up and they wave. And then they go into the tunnel. And I, I got to admit, I got a little emotional looking at Eli and Tom. I felt like I was looking at a father and a brother. But you know what the reality was? They have no idea who I am. There is absolutely no relationship. And guess what? I wasn't allowed down on the field. If I went down on the field, I may not be your pastor today. <laughs> there was a barrier that separated me from, I'll call them by first name, Tom and Eli. Right? There was this idea that I knew them, but there was no relationship. And before the word became flesh, there was no way to really know God. There was a barrier between us and God, humanity and God. And that is why the word became flesh. To remove that barrier so that you and I could be in relationship with God. Know God through his word. And that others would know God as you and I receive and carry his word. May it be so on this day, this week, and forevermore. Amen.